everybody. Wasn't everyone rise for the reading of God's word? We're in Matthew 25. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Matthew 25. Anyone need a Bible? Going through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Verse 14, Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you deliver to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I had delivered two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and, where, and gather where I have not uh, scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you open up your word to us this morning, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that you would just teach us, as your word always does, about the abundant life, Lord God, about the grace that we have in Christ Jesus, about our accountability to you, Lord, about the free gift of salvation, Lord, and even uh, the, the penalty of hell. God, I just pray, Lord, that through your word this morning, our eyes will open up, lift the veil off of our eyes, unplug our ears, Lord, clear up our minds that we may uh, get to know you, Lord, and love you all the more as we leave this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Hope everyone, by the way, uh, wished Stephanie a happy birthday this week. Stephanie, did everyone wish her a happy birthday? The big 4040. Uh, yes. That's right. She says, what if I, they thought you were, she was only 32? You know, I was re- reading about pastor's wives. Uh, 
at the time of Jonathan Edwards, at the time of Jonathan Edwards, the pastor's wife used to get up during the servant, uh, sermon and sit in a large chair right next to her husband facing the congregation. Uh, I tell you what, uh, times have changed. You, you have it easy nowadays. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, it's just uh, wish her a happy, uh, a happy birthday, the big 4-0. Uh, anyway... So at the beginning of chapter 24 uh, uh, of Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus a question, uh, what will be the sign uh, of your coming? And Jesus had told the disciples that he was about to die, uh, but that he would come again. In so many words, they asked him, uh, well, when are you going to come again? And uh, Jesus goes on to give the longest answer by far he had ever given to any uh, question he had ever uh, been asked in the Bible, and uh, at least it's what is recorded, and he, he really wants us to watch. He w- really wants us to be uh, ready, and for I've shared this with you for uh, many years that I, I steered away from uh, everything that the Bible taught about Jesus' return. I mean, I, I uh, steered away from it. Uh, uh, I mean, wasn't there not enough in the Bible uh, to study without having to get into the subject of prophecy? Uh, besides, people who get uh, into that, they wind up going off the deep end, and I don't want to be like them. And so, uh, but that's not what the Lord wanted uh, for me. In fact, he would uh, nudge me sometime. He'd give me a good elbow from time to time. Uh, about the whole subject, you know, you really need to speak into my heart. You really need to start studying this stuff. I remember being in a in a Bible study about sixteen or seventeen years ago, and uh, there's a guy uh, in. They were talking about the second coming of Jesus at this Bible study, and one of the men point in the Bible study pointed out that the Orthodox Jews had found a red heifer, a red heifer, and a red heifer is a young cow that has red hair. And uh, you may ask, well, okay, so what? Uh, what is that supposed to, you know, so what? They found a red heifer. Well, according to uh, Scripture, Jesus' return will not happen until the Jewish temple is rebuilt and, and the temple worship resumes. Well, temple worship uh, cannot resume without a red heifer because Mosaic law, according to Mosaic law, uh, the laws of purification for the temple, uh, there must be a burnt offering of a red heifer. Uh, a red young cow, uh, and uh, it sort of, and they use the sort of the ashes in a ritual to allow unclean people uh, to be purified and participate in temple worship. Uh, so temple worship uh, cannot begin without a red heifer. Well, that was a real problem about 20 years ago because there was not a red heifer anywhere in the world. And this was the subject of some hand-wringing in the Jewish community. What, what were they going to do? Because they're preparing, uh, as we speak, to get that temple up and going again. Even though there's all kinds of problems, uh, you know, and obstacles in their way, they're going uh, uh, in that direction. Well, you know, I'm thinking this guy's saying they found a red heifer. And I'm thinking, meanwhile, I'm thinking at the time, I, I was thinking a red heifer. What's like a purple cow, white elephant? I mean, I've never read in the Bible anything about a red heifer. And and, and so, you know, Steffi and I uh, went home, and I pretty much forgot about it. And uh, it was on a Wednesday night. And I got up the next day on Thursday. This is a true story. And I uh, went to study the Bible, and I was going through the Bible, 
chapter by chapter, verse by, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just how we teach today. And I was said, started off in Genesis chapter 1. Well, Wednesday night, the, uh, the night before, uh, I had left off in Numbers chapter 18. So on Thursday, I was in Numbers 19, uh, verse 1. Let me read it to you, and I quote. And so I'm just getting home from this Bible study, uh, and I open this up. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish. And I was like, Whoa. You know, have you ever been spooked by God? You know, that's what happened to me. I'm like looking around. I'm expecting Moses or someone to come out of a closet. What, you thought I lied or something? You know, like Moses, you know, red heifers, purple cows, white elephants, they're all in the Bible, you know. But, but you know, the Lord, so he would give me a nudge from time to time. Steve, you really, you know, you need to not ignore this. God wants you and I thinking about his return. He'll do his very best to remind you. Uh, Jesus was obviously very, very interested in having his disciples fully informed about his coming. And he wants you and I to be the same way. And, and you know, one of the things I found about studying Jesus' return is that it enlarges my heart. It enlarges my heart towards him, Jesus. And the Psalm uh, verse nine, one nineteen verse thirty two says, "For you, Lord, enlarge my heart." Well, that's one. Th- that's that's something that'll happen uh, when you when you study Jesus' return. You know, the, uh, the 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 if you're ignoring large chunks of the Bible, including those very large chunks about Jesus' return, uh, you're stunting your growth. You're stunting the growth of your heart towards God. And, and, and so learning what the, the Bible says of Jesus' return will make you understand in a new and powerful way uh, just how much uh, he loves you. And so uh, last week, for example, we learned uh, uh, the parable of the ten uh, virgins, uh, uh, how we as believers in Christ are as spotless, chaste, virgin brides before Jesus, in spite of all the muck and the mire and the rebellion and the disobedience uh, of our life, uh, the self-centeredness of our past, Jesus, through his death on the cra- uh, cross, uh, wiped away all our sins, made them uh, uh, that, that is white as snow, and, and his word says we're now a spotless, blameless, and without wrinkle, and he loves us so much, he's coming back to get us his bride. In John fourteen three, Jesus says, if it were not so, I would... I wouldn't tell you it was. So learning about Jesus' return, it will enlarge your, your heart. And so in, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uh, speaks mostly about the signs of his coming. At the end of chapter 24, he speaks about what we're supposed to do as we wait on his coming. And he continues that in Matthew 25, and that's where we pick up uh, this morning. Again, in verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now, what is a talent? I, I read this uh, parable many, many times without even knowing what a talent is. What is a talent? A talent is sort of a unit of measurement of money. It's a sum of money. It's, uh, a, a, but, but a talent, sometimes we hear uh, uh, different 
words for coins and currency like uh, drachma and denarius and mina is another one. Well, this one's talent, and talent is the, the biggest uh, sum of money. In fact, it was an enormous amount of money. It was 15 years of wages. When you got a talent, you got a lot of money. And I, I remember reading this parable and thinking to myself, you know, this poor third servant, he winds up, you know, he getting ripped off in the end, and what, it wasn't his fault. He only got a talent. Well, Wrong. A talent is a ton of, uh, of money. It, it, it's an enormous amount. At that time, 99% of the world lived in poverty. 15 years of wages was an unthinkable amount of money. And so that is what a talent is. And so um, I want to get right into the heart of this parable and discuss what a talent represents uh, in this parable because that is the key to understanding this parable. If you're taking notes, you may, may want to write this one down. A talent represents God's free gift of eternal life and all the spiritual gifts and abilities that come with it. Let me just repeat that. A talent represents God's free gift of eternal life and all the spiritual gifts and abilities that come with it. Now, the reason I believe very strongly that the talent represents eternal life is because the third servant who receives one talent and hides it, and he buries it and does nothing with it, what happens to him? He's cast into hell. Verse 30 says, uh, And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a description of hell. Hell is the tragic ending for anyone who refuses to embrace God's gift of his son for eternal life. Now, on the contrary, the two servants who embraced the talent, who did not hide it, who did not bury it, who, they did not stash it away and forget about it, but they made it their life purpose. Uh, they take it and use it for their master's purposes. What happens? Verse 21 and 23, the Lord says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You, will fa- you are faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of of the Lord. Uh, and so uh, the talent represents the free gift of eternal life and all the spiritual gifts and abilities uh, that go uh, with it. Now, there's a couple things I want you to notice about this parable. One is that to the casual outside observer, these servants all look the same, right? Two of the servants, however, are are on their way to heaven. One of the servants is on his way to hell. But to a casual outside observer, they all seem to be equal in their master's house. Now, this is a continuation of the theme that we discussed last week in the parable of the ten virgins. Remember the ten virgins. Uh, They all looked the same. They all seemed to be waiting. They all had a lamp. Uh, They were all dressed uh, probably in the same bridesmaids' clothes. Uh, But only the wise virgins had what? The oil of salvation. Only the wise virgins had that. And to a casual outside observer, though, they all looked the same. But there was a profound difference in their lives. Five had a relationship with Jesus. Five didn't. Uh, It says in verse 12, Jesus says to the five foolish virgins, I never knew you. It's a huge difference between the two. And and so uh, the third servant uh, in the parable of the talents is just like the five foolish virgins. 
virgins. Again, this represents the man or woman who is in church each week with other Christians, who sings the same songs, who takes the same communion, uh, waiting on the same Jesus, uh, kind of sort of from the outside looks uh, a, a lot the same. But they are worlds apart spiritually from the people around them. They're spiritually dead. They have taken the gift of eternal life that is offered to them week after week after week after week. And what have they done? They've buried it. They've ignored it. They've treated it as a common thing and cast it aside. And and so that is the third servant in the parable of the talents. He's spiritually dead. He took the gift and buried it. He was offered the gift of eternal life. He was even given the gift. Here, take it. He was even given it. Here, take the gift. But he buried it. He said, I, you know, I, I can't deal with this. I'm going to bury it. And that's what he did. So as, the, as he, what happens, he, he, he never appropriates the gift of eternal life. He never embraces the talent. He didn't, give the, uh, didn't bring the, the gift into his heart, his home, his life. And, and as the first two servants had done, uh, they, they had multiplied greatly from what their, their masters had originally given them. Uh, so he did not do. He, he didn't do anything with it. Didn't even put it in the bank and, and, and draw interest. So, the third servant is similar to the person uh, described in Matthew 13, you may remember. Represents the seed that fell on stony places. uh, which uh, Remember, it it, it fell in thin soil, and and the seed shot up, but as soon as the sun came, it was uh, scorched and died. And and so Jesus uh, said the seed was like the man or woman who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And this is what the the third servant hears, like, what, a talent? Uh, Fifteen years of wages? Wow, I mean, I can't believe you're dumping this on my lap. I mean, this is incredible. And, and, and so this is phenomenal. But what happens just, just over a short season of time, they, uh, just with all that's everything going on around them, the temptations, the world, the anxieties, whatever, they say, wait, I, I can't deal with this. I need to go on uh, with the world. And, and, and so that is how the third servant originally received his talent with great joy. But what happened uh, when push came to shove, he treated it as a common thing. Now, we're going to get back to that part, but I want you to notice uh, something else. Notice how the first two servants who are received into heaven, notice how they appear to receive the same reward. It says in uh, verse 20, it says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That was the first servant. Now, here's the second servant. He also, uh, verse 22, had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It looks there that even though the first servant received ten talents and the second servant received five, they are received the same way and appear to receive the same reward. The principle is this, and this is a principle you see throughout Scripture. It's that 
we will be judged not on what we're given, but on what we do with what we're given. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the good things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so, uh, listen, you will be judged. I will be judged. If, you're, if you have received Christ, everyone's going to be judged. But uh, the, 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 there's what is called the, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where a, a Christian, a born-again believer, is going to go before the Lord and receive. It's called the Bema seat, the reward seat, uh, to be judged for what, what he has done, good and bad in the body. But, uh, but it, notice here that um, both the first servant and the second servant doubled what they had. They both did the, as good as they could with what they had, and, and they appear to receive the same reward. Now, ten talents was an incredible and an inconceivable amount of money. In fact, it was about the same amount of money you, could, you couldn't earn in three lifetimes. And, you know, I look, you look at the sort of the, the, the Christian world and all the Christians out there and all the stuff going on. And, and sometimes you look out there and we see some people who have been given an incredible and inconceivable amount of responsibility. I mean, Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, K.P. O'Hannon has started 50,000 churches. 50,000 churches? You've got to be kidding me. And, and, and he started that and he, he, he oversees them and... And, 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 and allows them to flourish and gives them guidance. Just an incredible... They've been given ten talents. Enormous amount of responsibility. Ten talents. And, and, and you know, sometimes uh, you hear this uh, very crazy view. Uh, and if you have it, please, I want you to get rid of it this morning. Not because I'm telling you, because the Bible says it's unbiblical. You hear this thing that, you know, when we get to, sev- uh, to heaven and 99.9% of Christianity will be walking around with their little trinket rewards, but then they're, you know, like Billy Graham. You'll be, be like under this gigantic mountain of rewards and, you know, we'll sort of be up there and, and it's like, what's that, what's that, like that huge sort of mountain? It's trying to move and, oh, don't worry, that's just Billy Graham trying to get around, you know. Everyone else has like a little blue ribbon on them or something. And, uh, and running around, but uh, but the, the the fact of the matter is that's not biblical. You and I and every Christian will be judged according here to Matthew twenty five fourteen, and this is a principle throughout uh, Scripture according to your own ability. Now I'm convinced, and I'm sure that Billy Graham and Chuck Smith and K. P. Uhannon would be the first people the first people to, to, to say this, to agree, is that there will be those in heaven with mountains of rewards who were all but unknown in their lifetime. Mothers who raised godly children who were prayer warriors for their church and their family. Men and women who worked uh, as Sunday school teachers in their churches for years and years and years and years uh, with in total obscurity, very little appreciation. Let me tell you, uh, God bless our kids, but they're not the first ones to give uh, thank you parties to their Sunday school teachers. That's just not what happens. Men and women being faithful in the workplace while routinely telling people about Jesus 
how to be born again into a relationship with Jesus Christ, telling them about the grace of God year after year after year while faithfully providing for their family and being excellent in their jobs. They didn't get the ten talents that Billy Graham got or Chuck Smith or K.P. Yohannan. They got whatever, a half a talent, one talent, two, whatever. But they will receive the same reward, quite possibly a reward many times larger. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul declares this, I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now notice how it says there, he who plants and waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward. What does that mean? is that he who plants and he who waters one. It means this. Billy Graham, Billy Graham and the guy working as a volunteer picking up garbage after one of his crusades. They're, they're doing the same thing. It's the one work. It's the one work of God. And each one will be judged according to whether he did it right. And Billy Graham would be the first to say, if he gets up in front of those you know, 65 million people on TV and on the crusade, and, and he does it, in a slothful, lazy, unprepared way, he's going to be judged to that, and he'll get one reward. But the, the guy or the woman picking up garbage after the crusade who does it faithfully, they're going to be tremendously blessed. Each one judged according to his own ability. So the first and second servants uh, appear uh, to get the same reward. Listen, the most important thing <laughs> is this. Use the gift that God has given you. Use the gift that God has given you. Don't squander it. Don't squander your gifts. Do something with them. You know, one of the most heartbreaking and frustrating things for a pastor, ask any pastor what's the most frustrating thing to see, and this will be in the top two or three, is... When gifted people come through the church body, and it becomes immediately evident. I mean, these people have been given 10 talents. They've been given 20 talents, enormously gifted. And they just, at best, they're saved. So they haven't gone and hidden their talent and, you know, and rejected it. But at best, they've deposited it and a bank and are, and are earning interest and a very low interest at that. They're just squandering it. I mean, there's peop- been people that have come through this church body. I am convinced if they went full on for the Lord, hundreds of people would be saved through their lives. Hundreds. But they're squandering the gifts that God Almighty gave them. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit will, will allow you, will empower you to use your gift and multiply it. God will give you the gift. God will give you the opportunity. God will give you the gift, and he'll give you the opportunity to use this, uh, the, uh, this gift. Now, some of you... Uh, have heard me tell the story, and it's, uh, maybe it's a little silly, but uh, it, it illustrates the point. There's a guy, a Christian, waiting in an airport lobby, 
and there's a packed departure gate. And he notices this guy, he's, he's really worried, you know, he's like, oh, oh, and, 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 and he's thinking to himself, you know, this guy, this guy must be really worried about flying. And, and the Lord starts nudging his heart. Well, why don't you go over there and tell him something about the Lord? And he's like, oh, no, Lord, you have to give me a better sign than that. You've got to give me a sign now, Lord, you know. Huh? And, and so nothing happens, you know, nothing, you know, no bright lights or lightning or anything. And so he forgets about him, continues reading his paper, whatever. And then he uh, gets into the plane. It's a packed plane. Every single uh, seat uh, taken. The Christian is the last one on, and he goes to the very back. Who does he sit next to? The exact same guy. And the guy is like, you know, popping valiums. He's really nervous, and, and, and he doesn't know. He's, and he starts muttering to himself, and the Christian goes, huh, what are we saying? And he, he listen to this guy, and the guy's saying, oh, I don't know what's going to happen if this plane goes down. And, you know, what if it goes down and, and, and I die? I don't know what's going to happen, you know. And, 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 and so the Lord's like to the Christian, hey, you know, you think you can talk to this guy? Goes, no, Lord, I need a better sign. I need a sign from you, Lord. You've got to make it completely obvious. And so, and, and, and so then, you know, the, the plane takes off and, and it's flying after about a half an hour. Uh, uh, this, the, the, uh, the, all of a sudden there's some noises in the engines and the, and the pilot comes on the intercom and he goes, three out of four of the engines are out. But, you know, we should be okay. We should probably, you know, we should be able to make it another three hours, you know, uh, on this plane. And, and, and right then, the guy next, the, you know, the Christian looking at the guy next to him, he's, he, he, all of a sudden he reaches down and he rips out a Bible, you know, and, and he starts looking through it and, and out loud going, you know, I wish there was someone to tell me what this thing's about. I just don't, I don't understand anything. I, I need to know. And, and, and so the Lord's going, okay, are you going to witness to him now? He's going, no, Lord, I, I need something absolutely clear. And as soon as those words left his mouth, the, the, the last engine went out, and the pilot said, okay, everybody, that last engine is out. Prepare for a crash landing. And the guy, the, the, the guy next to him grabs the Christian by the neck and says, tell me how to get saved. And the, and the, guy look, the Christian looks up to heaven, God, I need a sign. If you really want me to talk to him, turn him into a gorilla. You know, and, and so, but anyway, kind of a real... Strange story. Actually, it's a true one. It happened to Guillermo. Uh, he was the guy who got turned into a gorilla. He was witness to, got saved, and he was he survived the landing. And now he's turned back into Guillermo, and he's here. Not really, but but uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a silly story, but it illustrates the point that we need to use the gift that God has given us, and He will give us opportunity. To do so, he will give us opportunity to do so. And, 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 and really, what's it going to take? And, and, and we need to allow this truth to, to speak to our heart. What is it going to take for us to respond to the prompting that God puts on our hearts to use the opportunity? And so um, the point is, is, is really serious, that God has given you a gift. And the Bible lists many gifts, lists many gifts. I'm not going to list all of them, but there's the gift of mercy. This is a person who is able to bless the least deserving people imaginable with kindness. That's the gift of mercy. What a wonderful gift. The gift of ministry. This is the person who's willing to, at whatever time to, uh, of the day, to travel far and wide 
to blessed people who are in need. The gifts of giving. This is a person who, who has the gift of opening up their checkbook and just blessing the people, the people of God and, and, and other people in need. And, 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 you know, you may be sitting in your seat and you're the kind of person who, you know, feels so insecure you can't imagine the Lord ever wanting to use you. I can't imagine, Lord, without ever wanting to, to use someone like me. And, and, and maybe you don't think you have a... a, a, a a spiritual gift. Well, impossible. Uh, you need to pray to God to reveal it to you uh, because the Bible teaches that every born-again believer has a gift. 1 Corinthians twelve seven. speaking of the spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul declares this, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Speaking about spiritual gifts there. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You have a gift or gifts that you have been given by God not to go to waste, not to be buried, but to bless God and his people with. Now, before uh, the time runs out, I just want to spend uh, or conclude the time with uh, the reaction of this third servant, this third servant. What does he say in verse 24 when he approaches the Lord? Verse 24 says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So he says again, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. Listen carefully. That's a lie. That is a lie. He, he was listening to a lie. He says three things. Each of them were lies that he had come to believe in his heart, and he had sort of latched on to the lie rather than the talent. The first thing, what did he say? He says to the Lord that he was a hard man. Listen, Satan wants to convince you that God is a hard man. He's a slave driver. He wants to drive the joy out of your life. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. At best, he tolerates you. Satan wants to convince you that God is a hard man. What else does this third servant say to God? He says, you try to reap or you reap where you have not sown. Listen, Satan wants to convince you that God will try to reap from, reap from you what you will never be able to give. He will require nothing less than a perfect life. And, and when you fall short of it, he will be angry and impatient and unforgiving. That's a lie. The Bible doesn't teach that. The last thing the servant says in verse 24, uh, he says, You gather where you have not scattered seed. Satan will try to convince you that God will rip you off of every joy of every blessing and everything that you hold dear. He will try to convince you of that, but that's a lie. Turn with me quickly to 1 Peter chapter 5 to the right. 
1 Peter chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read a verse here that is quoted very often, but it's not quoted enough in its context. Verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5 is, is quoted very often. It's, it says, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, it'd be very useful to, for us to read this in its context. Look at just a, uh, the very previous verse. And actually, to, why don't we start two, two verses? It says, therefore, uh, verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Then he, then he goes right into this verse, Be sober and vigilant, because the adversary of the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's my point? Is that the, the devil, Satan, is going to try to convince you at every turn that God doesn't care for you. See, uh, see the Apostle Peter here in verse 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you, but the devil's going to try to convince you that he doesn't. And, and that is what Satan tries to do every day, every minute of every day. And we're going for the book of 1 Samuel. What, what, what happened when, when David was getting uh, so discouraged because Saul was chasing after him every day in the wilderness? It says every day Saul chased after him, and he was getting more and more discouraged. Why? It's because he was getting convinced that God didn't care about him. The devil was chasing after him, and he was convinced that, 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 that God didn't care about him uh, anymore. The third servant in the parable of the talents had listened to and believed a lie. The reason we get into the Word of God at Calvary Chapel is to learn the truth so that when we go out of this place, we're not believing a lie. Uh, so what was the lie? The, the, the lie w was this, that that's, uh, it was a complete misrepresentation of the nature of God. You know, in, in, in verse 21, and if you turn back to Matthew 25, if you really want to read about the nature of God and how he views us and how he views his children, look at the reaction that he has when he receives his children into heaven. In verse 21 and 23, what does he say to both of them? Enter into the joy of the Lord. His children are his joy. Their life is his joy. Their happiness is his joy. It is his joy to bless them. It's his joy to shower them with abundance. It's his joy to receive them into heaven. God, a hard man, what did Jesus say to the multitude in Matthew eleven twenty eight? He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That does not sound like a hard man. And one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life, in any life, is that we believe the lie that he's anything but a Savior who wants us to come to him to receive rest. Psalm 103, verse 3, describes how God 
views us. It says this, Lord, you, the Lord who redeemed your life from destruction, will crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. God's not a hard man. He's altogether holy. He's altogether just. But that is his heart for you, to crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And that's our mindset, even as we wait on the return of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your heart towards us. I thank you for your word, Lord, that just warns us. God warns us of, of what not to believe, warns us of the lies that are so dangerous to latch onto, warns us of the, just the, the deception, Lord God, which will lead us away from you, warns us of, uh, of the lies that will, will cause us to, Lord, put our talent uh, you know, in a bank somewhere rather than using it to uh, the maximum uh, of, of what we should be doing or worse, Lord, for someone who has never come to Christ, putting their talent and bearing it and rejecting it and trampling over it. And God, I, I just pray in the name of Jesus that if there's anyone in here this morning, Lord, who has never taken that talent and embraced it and made it their life's joy, that you would open up that heart this morning, Lord God, and just radically save it, Lord. Bring them to that place of rest. And Lord, for everyone else, Lord, I just, we just ask, Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the grace and mercy that we need, Lord God, to multiply your talents. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. You are dismissed.